Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You know, I I love the Christmas season. Anybody just like love the Christmas season? I love that it's acceptable just to walk around and, and just say things to people everywhere, right? Hey, Merry Christmas, you know, and you just wave and like people wave back and it's just, it's wonderful. It's like you bond. It's great. Um, any, anybody have some fun Christmas traditions? I'm not going to ask you what they are, but do you have Christmas, do you have Christmas traditions? I started a new one this year. We baked gingerbread from scratch for the very first time and it, it smells heavenly and also takes three days. Didn't know that. It's good, though. It's, it's a great tradition. We, we all have different traditions, don't we? I, I, I was privileged enough to have my great-grandfather in my life um, for a large amount of my life. And, in fact, he was still around when I had my first child. And so she was born into this world having her great-great-grandfather. And I can remember him telling us stories about what Christmas was like when he was a little boy and how, you know, you, you got, you know, an extra little piece of candy or you got an orange or, or something like that. And you were so happy just to have a big meal and, and be all together. And things change, right? I mean, they change a lot. Um, I was thinking about from the time that I was a child, you know, you wanted like a Cabbage Patch doll that cost like $10, and now it's like Xboxes that cost like my mortgage, you know, and things change. Um, anybody who's ever had the privilege of, of marrying into another family's Christmas culture knows that everybody's a little different, Right? And, and, and I can remember um, marrying into Philip's family and finding out that not everybody does Christmas the way we do Christmas. It's, it can be different. And see, in my family and my grandmother and my mom are here today. Can you guys welcome them? They're incredible, absolute legends. And um, in, in our family, we are a very emotional, connected, emotional family. We are like this all the time. Okay, and I mean, at a random dinner, it could be a Thursday, we, we may, around our dinner table, start saying something nice about one of the people holding an impromptu honor circle, crying, thinking about the goodness of God. That is my family. I'm not exaggerating. We are very emotional people, and we're very, you know, we, we, we want to be close, we, and if we're not, we're close. You know those people that all sit in the same chair? were those people. And so at Christmas time, uh, the way we do presents and the way we always did presents growing up was each person takes a turn opening a gift and everyone around them stops and watches them open the gift. And then we celebrate their gift. And then we go to the next person. And that's how we do Christmas. And then I married into Philip's family and I walk in to their living room, and there are piles of presents at various locations that are designated for the different members of the family. And at a, at a mark that was kind of unknown to me but known to everyone, they all walk towards their pile of presents. And then what can only be described as a shark feeding frenzy begins. And there is paper, and it is flying everywhere. And every once in a while, a child pokes their head above the pile and says, Thanks, Bob, and just keeps going. 
and I'm horrified. And so I'm standing next to what I guess is my pile of presents because they have my name. And I'm just standing there and I don't know what to do. Do I start with them? Do, do new people, because I was the first new person, do they start later? What do I do? Am I in danger? And um, I'm standing there, and then uh, their love language is mocking. And so all of a sudden, they realize that the new person is a prime opportunity to get some good mocking in in the Christmas season. Hallelujah. And so they all turn and they begin to laugh at me and say, oh, Destiny, did you want us to all stop and watch you open your presents? And I said, no, yes, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> we all have different Christmas traditions, right? We all have Christmas traditions trying to figure it all out. One of one of my family's favorite Christmas traditions is we read the Christmas story on Christmas Eve. I love it. Um, who, whoever is the youngest one who can read fluently gets to read it. And uh, I, I love that. I love being able to sit and read the story. But sometimes there's a story behind the story. You know, you read the story, but but there's a there's a story behind the story. And, and today, I, I want to talk about the story behind the story. See, the prophet Isaiah was this brilliant, prolific writer in Israel's history. And Israel was, was God's chosen people on the earth. And he's this amazing writer, and he's this prophetic writer. And so he's writing to the people of the day about their present, but also about their future. But he's also writing to um, many generations later about their future. And then he is writing to even today about the future. And, and he's considered kind of the, the messianic prophet, the one whose words create the frame that the New Testament is built on. And he prophesies to Israel that one day things would change forever. That one day there would be a moment that a Savior would come. And he prophesies this moment that we celebrate as Christmas in Isaiah 9-6. Can we read it together? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born. That's not really the way that we say it, is it? We, we don't really say, for unto us a child is born. We might say, well, a, a child is born to, to Philip and Destiny, or a, a child is born to the Dees family. We've said that a lot, five times, be precise. And even in the Bible, this isn't like they said this about every child in the Bible. You're like, oh, well, they probably said it weird in the Bible too. Well, they did, but they didn't say it this way. They would say, you know, Isaac was born to Abraham and Jacob was born to Isaac and, and so on and so forth through the generation. But when 
Isaiah penned these words. He, he wanted to make sure that we were clear that this baby wasn't going to be born as a blessing just to a family that he wasn't going to be born as a blessing just to a community, that he wasn't going to be born as a blessing even just to a time period. But for all time, forever, this child who would be born would be born to and for all of us. He would be the forever joy to the whole world. For unto us... A child is born unto us, a son is given. See, before he was ever Mary's baby boy, before he was the adopted son of Joseph, he was God's son. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It says somewhere else that if God would give his son, then what else would he withhold from us? Is there anything that he would hold back if he would give his very son on our behalf? And as we look at the Christmas story, we have to remember that it was not just that a child was born, but there was a son, the son of almighty God that was given to us as the gift that would change everything. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders. You know, as members of a democracy, we're kind of at a little bit of a disadvantage in reading the Bible. And the reason is, is because when we think of government, we think of democracy. We think of rule by the people. We, we understand that the authority of our leaders comes from our buy-in. But the Bible was written from the perspective of kingdom. And that's very, very different. And so when he talks about the government being on his shoulders. He, he's talking about the authority that Jesus would take when he rose from the grave. He's talking about the authority that he would take when he rose from the grave because Isaiah did not just prophesy about the birth of Christ. He also prophesied, prophesied about his sacrificial death on our behalf. This is what he says, he says in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, he says, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. See, the government being on his shoulders isn't just about him taking all authority, although he has it. The Bible says that he has all authority under heaven and earth. The Bible says that, that he has the authority to do anything. He has the authority, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He has the authority because of the resurrection, but he did more than that. He, he took on the responsibility. He took on the responsibility. See, he took on the weight of all sin 
the burden of all sin. I have a friend who's a judge, and, and I ran into him at an event, and I haven't seen him in years, and I was so excited about it. I was like, oh, how are you? It's so good to see you. Are you still doing criminal? And he said, no, I'm not. And I was kind of surprised, and, and he said, I, I, I came to a moment um, where I couldn't do it anymore. He said, I was a prosecutor for well over a decade, prosecuting some of the worst crimes you can ever imagine. And he said, then, you know, I became a judge, and you know that, that I moved into criminal intentionally. And I was a, a judge presiding over criminal trials for over 10 years. But there was one day where I was sitting on the bench, taking notes, paying close attention, as they described what one human being had done to another. And he said, something in me broke. And he thought, I cannot do this anymore. The burden is just too great. I have to do something else. And so he left criminal and he went on to do other things and he's doing very, very well. But the burden of just being a witness to that much sin, that much evil, that much violence was too much for him. Jesus took on the burden of the sin itself, not just for one of us, not just for two of us, but for all of humanity for all time. The government sits on his shoulders, and he paid the price to have all authority by taking all responsibility. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall rest on his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, if you read the KJV, it says Wonderful, comma, Counselor. It's wrong. It's Wonderful Counselor. A Wonderful Counselor. See, the one that we would submit to would also be the one that we could run to. The one that we would bow our knee to would also be the one who would be willing to get into the dirt of our lives with us. He's a wonderful counselor. He, he doesn't just save us from on high and then leave us to figure it out. He doesn't just intervene once and give us a get-out-of-hell-free card. He wants to walk with us every single day of our life, moment by moment, closer and closer, learning what it is to follow this wonderful counselor. So when we join his kingdom, we have the benefit of his wisdom. Until then, it's just words. But then it becomes life. Because we don't serve a God who is dead. We serve God who is very much alive. And they should call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. What a wonderful reminder that he is not just a human being that achieved enlightenment and ascended into God-likeness, 
but rather he was born a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. He was born into this world so that he could bridge a gap that was otherwise unbridgeable so that the divine could fully know what it was to be human. And more importantly, sometimes I think, so that we as humans would know that our God fully understands us. But he's not just God. He is mighty God. And that's important because you and I face difficult things. We face challenges until our very last breath. And I want to be convinced that I serve a God that is mighty enough to walk me all the way home. He's a mighty God. Not only is he called wonderful counselor, mighty God, but he will be called everlasting father. Now, for those of you who are paying attention, that's confusing. Apparently, not very many people are, so I'll explain why. (laughs) Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he will be called the everlasting father. But see, when God sent his son, he was also sending himself. Because see, what we believe is there is only one true God, and his name is Jehovah. We believe in one God who is expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why we say that the very nature of God is community. That's why we say that he can truly say that he is himself love because he is one and yet he is three. And that's the mystery of the Trinity. But we see it so beautifully on the cross where God gives himself to us. You know, many of you in this room, you had great fathers, and some of you miss them a lot this Christmas. I'm sorry. That pain, it, it never goes away. My grandmother's here, and, and her uh, dad, who I was talking about earlier, lived until he was 102. Now, I don't care who you are. That is a good life. That is a long life. But I can remember driving back and coming into the house after he had passed away and watching her cry and say, I wasn't ready to lose my daddy. Because you're never ready to lose your dad. No amount of time is ever enough. Whether they left of their own volition before you were even born or whether you have them 102 years, it's never long enough. And that's why he is an everlasting father. He'll be with us every day and into eternity. Some of you in this room, you have terrible memories of your dad. He inflicted wounds on you. I I don't understand. The difference between a bad dad and a good dad might be from this stage to the ceiling. But the difference between a good dad and a perfect dad is from the ceiling to the moon. And that's why all of us must have this everlasting father who can fill in every gap, who can take care of every problem. See, Jesus came and was adopted by Joseph so that you could be adopted into God's family and you could call him everlasting 
Father. They shall call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace. I'm going to ask Andy to go ahead and start coming up. Prince of Peace. This is the thing that I've learned about a lot of us, is that we want the peace without the prince. We want the peace without the prince. And this is what I mean by that. We pray to God for peace, but we have no intention of submitting ourselves to the prince. We, we want him to give us the feeling of peace, but we don't want to follow the way of the prince. But like we talked about at the beginning, this isn't written to a democracy. See, God does not get his legitimacy through your belief in him. Do you hear me? God does not get his legitimacy through my belief in him. He doesn't gain his authority because I give him authority. He has all authority. The question is, am I going to get into his kingdom or not? And if I want the peace of the kingdom, if I want the joy of the kingdom, if I want the hope of the kingdom, I have to submit myself to the Prince of Peace. I have to get in alignment with his way. I have to get in alignment with the way he thinks about things. I have to learn how he thinks about things. I have to live the kind of life that he lived so that I could do the kinds of things that he does. It's that peace. It passes all understandings. The old saints used to say it this way. You'd ask them about something and they, they wouldn't, you know, they go, ah, you know what? I don't have a peace about doing that. What were they talking about? They knew that a person who the prince ruled over would have peace. A life submitted to him would be a peaceful life. A home that he reigns over is a peaceful home. A community that he reigns over is a peaceful community. And sometimes that's hard for us, isn't it? Because we want to ascribe our lack of peace to everything and anything except for our submission to Christ. But as someone, can I just, as someone who's struggled with peace, I've learned that it never has to do with everybody else's stuff. And it always has to do with me. Not am I submitting to him in theory, but am I submitting to him in practice? When he said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything, am I submitting to the prince? When he said for me to love my neighbor, when he said to practice forgiveness, where I am forgiving 70 times 7, which is about every two minutes of the day, am I practicing that? Because this is the thing, is that if I choose to submit to his way and to let him begin to empower me and teach me to walk in it, there is a peace in the learning. There is a peace in the process. There is a peace that comes into my life that cannot be shaken by anything around I 
think that there's a reason why the words of Isaiah are echoed in the only baby announcement that God decides to give for his son. I don't know about you, but I, I think I think I would have done it a little different. I'm just saying. You know, I mean, you have angels at your at your beck and call. They're apparently limitless. There's just a lot of them. And um, my son's coming to earth. I'm sending one out to every royal court and going to let them know. My son's coming. Back off. Right? Like, I, I feel like that, but that's not why Jesus came, and that's not what God did. He sends one angelic invitation to the birth of his son. There's a star that some wise men identify and are able to get there. But he sends one direct, clear invitation to the birth of his son. And he sends it to lowly shepherds. Men who are just out on a hillside doing their job. They're just doing their job. Taking care of sheep. It's nighttime. They're sitting out there. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. And he says something similar, but importantly, different. He says, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's important for us to understand that unto us a child is born. That there is a joy that has come into the whole world. But it's equally as important for you to hear like the shepherds did. To you, to you, to you, to you, to you, to you, to me. He wasn't just born for the whole world. Anybody ever have presents for the whole family? You know what I'm talking about? If you're a kid, you hate those. This is for the family, which means it's for no one. You're never seeing that board game again, ever. It's a little house that your mom wanted but didn't want to get for herself. It's going to sit on the shelf. Jesus isn't that kind of gift. He's not a gift that was given to the whole world, but not to you. Unto you, a Savior is born. To you. And so we get to choose, like the shepherds, what we're going to do with the announcement. I'll tell you what they did. They left their sheep. They left their sheep. And they ran. And with clues that I feel are pretty vague. They found him. And they knelt and they worshiped. 
they acknowledged him as sovereign. They knelt and they worshiped. That meant something to Jewish people. You have to understand that prior to this time, there was a time of the Maccabees and thousands of Jewish people died rather than bow their knee to a God that they did not think was God. Bowing to them mattered a lot. Worshiping mattered a lot. They didn't do it lightly. So for the shepherds to come and see this baby and bow a knee and worship, it was an act of submission that would echo through the ages. And it changed them because it says that they got up and they went and told everybody. They told everyone. Can't you imagine the next time they were at night hanging out together? 10 years later, when they were caring for their sheep and they looked at each other and they say, hey, you remember when the angel showed up and we found the Messiah and we worshiped him? Everything's been different, hasn't it? We each have a choice of what we will do with the invitation because God still issues the same invitation. He tells you that he sent his son and he tells you where to find him and then you make the choice of what to do. Unlike the shepherds, we don't have to go on a scavenger hunt. We don't have to run and find. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, alive and well, and advocating for you. And yet, he's present the moment you call on him. This Christmas, if you want the peace that comes from submitting to the Prince, if you want to live as an adopted son or daughter, to have that everlasting father who fills in every gap, who heals every wound. I think we have echoes of that, right? When we interact with our own parents, they kiss our boo-boos and when we're little, just that belief is enough to make it feel better. There's something deep inside of us that knows that we were meant to have a heavenly father too who truly could heal us from the inside. If you want that mighty God to be mighty on your behalf, if you want to walk with that wonderful counselor, I've got good news because unto you, child was born. He lived a perfect life. He showed us how to live. He died an unjust death. He gave himself for you and I. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And today, he still awaits you. Will you stand with me? I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head not going to keep you long. You're going to have more than enough time to go out and enjoy the music and grab your kids after their party. 
where we have given them so much sugar, you will never put them to sleep ever again. There will be no nap. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a different question. I don't want to ask you today if you're going to heaven. I think sometimes that's a little hard for people to get if you've grown up here. I want to ask you this question. Are you living like he's king of your life? Are you living like he's king of your life? And if not, do you want to? If you would say, Destiny, I'm not living like he's king. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about getting it right every single time. Don't misunderstand me. That, that's not what this is about. We can all have moments, but, the, but it, are you living like he's king? When you depart from his way, are you quick to go, hey, I know that was not the way I was supposed to do it. Help me to do it better next time. Do you, do you long to do the things he cares about? It's not just about what you don't do. Somehow his kingship has like been boiled down to, did you not do these 10 things today? No, it's so much more than that. Do you live like he really is king? Like his opinion matters the most? Like his way is the best? Like he really is everything he says he is, that peace really is with him, that he really is that mighty God, that he really is that wonderful counselor, that he really is that everlasting father? Are you living like he is king? And if not, do you want to? God, I just pray in this moment that everybody would have an opportunity just to be honest. I pray that this would be a transformative moment of awareness that will lead to a change in direction. With every head bowed, every eye closed, don't look at your neighbor. It's between you and your Savior. If you are not living like he is king and you want to, you say, Destiny, I want that peace. I want all of those things we talked about. But more than anything, I, I want to live as though he is king because he is king. If right now you say, I am not living as though he is king, but I want to. I want you to raise your hand all over this place. I'm not living as though he is king, but I want to. I see your hands. Thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you so much for your honesty. This moment of awareness matters. This moment of awareness matters. This moment of awareness matters. And I want everyone, everyone, everyone who wants to follow Jesus, those who raise their hands and those who are following him now, who are made him king of their life, I, I, I want you all to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, Let's try it again. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son. I want him to be king of my life. Teach me what that means and how to live that out every single day. I submit myself to the Prince of Peace. I ask you to be my wonderful counselor. I thank you, you are a mighty God. And I accept you 
is my eternal Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing together one more chorus as we end. Go ahead, Andy. Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, oh come ye, oh come ye to you came to church. Wow. I only wish there were three services today so I could hear that message again. I don't know about you. We could just, the two or three of us could just stay back and keep Destiny captive and make her preach that one more time because that second time hit me different, man. You know, we usually have a lead acrostic and I don't know about you, but when Destiny preaches, I start taking notes and then I stop because I'm just so drawn in. <laughs> what did we learn today? We learned that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, that he is our mighty God, that he is our everlasting father, that he's our prince of peace. What evaluation question did Destiny give us today? Are we living like Jesus is king? Let's think about that this week as we prepare to celebrate him on Sunday. What can we do? How can we apply it? This is what I would just say. Every day this week, wake up. And before you do anything else, if you can, if you physically can, get on your knees and just bow to the king. And just say, Father, today I submit my life to you. I'm telling you, as we do that, there's something about changing your posture that changes your heart. Let's try that this week. And then what's the D? Come on, do it again and again and again. Well, my name is Clarissa. I should have said that first. I'm the Connections Pastor here. And I hope that you enjoyed this service. If you came to watch our amazing kids sing, can we give it up for them one more time? I know they're not here, but that was amazing. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.